on page 1058, Mark 10, verses 13 to 16, is also a scripture I would like to uh, highlight. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. Now today I'm going to share my thoughts about what we can learn about children. And I don't have children. I have never been a parent, but I love children. Um, and for me, church isn't a proper church when there are no young ones running around. And I feel the same way about teenagers. I really miss teenagers. I was a high school teacher for 30 years. So seeing young people on a daily basis was normal. And sometimes I didn't feel like seeing them because sometimes it can be very tough. But I miss them terribly. I have uh, left the teaching profession since uh, 2017 and I am training now to be a psychotherapist. So my life is interesting, but I am so glad to see the churches fill with kids and teenagers. That just, my happy moments are playing with children, or doing art with teenagers. So that's, that's a little background of me. Um, I'm going to take a brief look at the context of the scriptures we've just read. Then I have two points to make, and I'm going to try and do this in about 20 minutes because I know people's attention span is limited. Uh, 20 minutes is about the maximum an adult can listen even though it's fun to be up here and share my thoughts, it really is, uh, uh, there's a limit to how much people can uh, take. The first point I want to make about children is that they're very, very vulnerable, and that the second point is that children love to play. So those are going to be the essence of my sermon. Now, there's very little scholarship on what life for children was like in Jesus' day. In fact, not everyone was very literate. There were mainly people who were doctors and philosophers. Uh, those are the people who were literate. Boys might be educated if they were lucky. Um, among the Greeks, the upper class courtesans might receive an education and become literate. But we have almost no records of what daily life in the Bible times was like for kids. But I am going to make a few assumptions. One thing I'm certain of was this is a world that didn't change as much as our world. There was a limited base of knowledge, and older people were respected for having wisdom and knowledge and being the repositories of traditions. It was a world of hierarchy. Someone at the top, many at the bottom. Kings, leaders, men, women, and slaves all knew their position in society. We can see that the disciples are preoccupied with this because their question to Jesus is, who is the greatest in heaven? 
Who will be the most powerful? Who will we look up to? Hopefully, the disciples thought, in Jesus' kingdom, we'll be on top. In such a culture, which is so different from the meritocracy of North America, obedience is stressed. You want to know who you have to defer to. Society was based on upholding social order. Children were taught to obey their elders and carry on the family and cultural traditions. Unlike our world, which is changing constantly, we have to try and teach our children to think for themselves and to be lifelong learners so they can adapt to the skills needed for society that is changing every year. We live in a liberal democracy and we try to teach kids to be the change for good in our society. In this context, when Jesus takes a child as an example of the greatest in the kingdom, he shatters the foundations of his disciples' culture. The least powerful member in their society, a small child, is set as an example to imitate. He speaks of humbling ourselves like a child and that the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. What kind of man is this that would put one of the most vulnerable members of society and say that they are the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? The least powerful is now the greatest? What is Jesus getting at? The first characteristic of small kids that struck me is their incredible vulnerability. To anyone who has taken care of children, a lot of what I'm going to say is so self-evident. Uh, you know more than I about these things. From zero to two years old, children are totally dependent on their caregivers to a frightening degree. Foundations are laid at the stage that can shape the little person for the rest of their lives. If children are not fed the right food, their development will be compromised. Malnutrition in children does not only occur in low-resource countries. Some children here in Canada are suffering from malnutrition because they're fed on junk food. And this is very common when, because junk food is cheap. So there is malnutrition here too. More seriously, if children are not loved right, they develop attachment styles that will follow them for the rest of their lives. It was only recently that researchers studied how children develop attachment styles. Now, an attachment style is how you give and receive love. And it's absolutely essential in the way we relate to people. And there are free quizzes you can go online and say, what's my attachment style? And you will find out what your attachment style is. But this foundation is laid when we're just infants. And it was studied by John Bowlby and Mary Ainsworth in the mid-70s, so not that long ago, where these, the science actually brought light to these things that many of you already know by instinct. If a child has an insecure attachment style, they will have problems in their relationships for the rest of their lives. Ideally, we want children to develop secure relationship styles. And if you have an insecure attachment style, you will probably have a lot of anxieties in your relationships. It probably stems from your childhood. Now, infants and children have to trust their, their, their caregivers. They depend on them because they have so little choice. For a short while, they believe what adults and parents tell them. Is Jesus suggesting that we become as trusting and as vulnerable 
as a small child? What? That sounds scary. You've got, you're on the right path. Trusting and being vulnerable like a small child in this crazy world? Well, it depends not on what we trust, but on who. As human beings, we are easily unreliable. We're human, we have flaws, we don't love very well, and that's a fact of life. Institutions are even worse. People, parents, governments are not dependable. And if you're a parent, you know how hard it is to love a child consistently. And all of us, I think we look back on our relationships with others, in our families, in our lives, with our co-workers, we will see areas where we have failed not to love fully. There will also be some good moments as well, but we're human. We're sinners. We do make mistakes. But even if we've, we have made mistakes as parents, if we've had the privilege of parents who loved us, however imperfectly, we are incredibly blessed. If we have been loved well as children, we have so many advantages in life. We have got to love our vulnerable selves. Only God is dependable. Only he can love us perfectly. And what does it look like to have our most vulnerable selves loved by God? Because God's a spirit. We can't hug him. And sometimes we need a hug. Well, we have to look to Jesus for our, our example. Jesus gives us an example of what it's like to live on earth and totally depend on God and totally be vulnerable to God. He says, I can do nothing without the Father, he says. He does nothing out of his own initiative in John 5.19. Now, that kind of dependency is not something that comes naturally. From childhood onwards, we're trained to be independent or interdependent. Depending on God and the guidance of the Holy Spirit is something we learn. And when it comes to trusting God, we have two choices. Fear or love. Fear makes us insecure, and we tend to rely on rules and regulations, and we hold back. Love trusts in a loving creator. That is what the vulnerability of a child is about, and it can be scary, but love children's trust their caregivers. Jesus trusted the Father utterly and in submission. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. The Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he this tells us of a relationship so close that Jesus had to be walking side by side with the Father and the Holy Spirit practically continually. That is total dependence. The contemplative Christians have an expression called walking in the presence, being in the presence, or just being. 
Some of you have heard of the book by Brother Lawrence called The Practice of the Presence of God. He was a lay brother in a monastery in the 1600s in Paris. Slide number one, please. He was a humble man and did many menial tasks in the kitchen of his monastery. He cooked and washed dishes, but he enjoyed God's company in everything he did. But his book is full of wisdom. And the quote above says, the most holy and important practice in the spiritual life is the presence of God. That is, every moment to take great pleasure that God is I have another quote, which is not on a slide, but I'll read it to you. And it is not necessary to have great things to do. I turn my little omelette in the pan for the love of God. And I love this quote because he's doing something fairly mundane. And don't we all have mundane tasks that are not very glamorous? I can clean a toilet and enjoy God's presence. I would much rather paint a painting, and I am an artist, so I love that. But even cleaning a toilet or washing the dishes has its moments because we can enjoy his presence. Sometimes we need another picture. And we've looked at the example of Jesus' total dependence on his father. I have a poster, slide number two, please, that I want to share with you. You can buy this poster, but I'll, I'll, there, there are some words in it which are not easy to be seen, but you can see a little girl is blissfully swinging away, and the hands of Jesus are holding the swing. And the words on top say, will you trust me? And then there's a, a verse in Proverbs at the very bottom, written in beautiful script. And some of you may have seen this poster, but to me it really illustrates what a happy dependence on God is. When I was a kid, I loved to do what this little girl's doing. I would not want to give up my swing because I had the most amazing daydreams and I would imagine myself being a superhero while I was swinging. So this was a, a moment of utter bliss and joy. And if you ever get to a playground that has swings large enough to hold an adult, I do encourage you to try them. You might relive some childhood of memories. But this is the image that I want to leave you with because it is so simple, so eloquent, and it's also, uh, I think, the, the key. Which brings me to my next point, my last point. Children, when they are nurtured well, play. When a child feels safe, she will want to explore and check things out. Play is exploration, experiment, creativity, and fun. It does not have a goal, not necessarily, but it can be totally aimless. And the sense of time can completely be lost when we play. Children and young animals ideally spend a huge part of their time in play. Biologically, they're practicing skills that they will need later on. That's what the scientists say. But emotionally, they're just having fun. Play is full of wonder. The child discovers new features in a toy truck and wants to show you. 
I love taking children to the zoo, by the way, especially the little ones. When a little one sees an animal for the first time, they want you to, to see it. They want you to come over and look. And I love that excitement. Or they're playing with their cookie and their orange juice and they're making an absolutely revolting mess. That's play. And yes, that really puts me off. But that's what kids do. Play encourages problem solving problem solving and imagination. Um, part of that can be storytelling. When my nephew was four, he wanted to be a baby cow when he grew up. And we spent a whole hour discussing what his horns were going to look like and what he was going to do as a baby cow. And that's what the imagination will do. He was making it up and we were both making it up as we were going on in our conversation. Now, I was very lucky as a, a young kids to have a sister to play with, and we played a lot. We didn't have screens when I was young, so we relied on our imagination. So we made our Barbies into superheroes, or famous horseback riders, and they rode in competitions. The mean Barbies were taken to court for cooking bad food. Then they went on a budget airline called Air Diarrhea. And not unsurprisingly, that plane was hijacked. Disasters and talent shows. Sometimes we performed in the talent shows, and we didn't have that much talent. And sometimes we made the plays and the talents for the, the toys that we used. Loads and loads of fun. But what can we learn from children's play? Especially in our play-deprived culture. Now, I didn't have a link, but I'm going to post a link maybe later. Daniel Strickland has a wonderful sermon called God at Play. In that sermon, she mentions Leonard Sweet, who has written a book about the role of play and God. And I found out that Leonard Sweet is a very prolific writer, and he's still alive. So the next quote, which is on this slide, which is far too small to see, it is a very exciting quote. He's being interviewed by a blog person, and he's talking about how God essentially enjoys play. So he's modeling play for us. In the earliest creation story, the first time we meet God, God is down and dirty, playing in the dirt, making mud pies, getting God's hands wet and dirty fashioning us in the divine image for the sheer pleasure of our company. Creation is not God at work, but God at play. Labor enters the story with the fall, and we prefer to work to play because there's an out-of-control surprise element to play. We need to learn to play at life again. All beauty, artistry, excellence comes out of the play paradigm, not a work paradigm. When you work at something, whether it is be life, or relationships, or sports, or art, you're forcing something to be rigid and mechanical that should be natural and pleasurable. Make it harder than it needs to be. Being the church doesn't require us to earn God's favor through deeds and acts. All we need to do is to worship God in joy and pleasure. This is our nature.
this is who we are meant to be. That gives me a lot of pause for thought. When we live in God's presence, I think joy and delight will be the predominant emotions. We will be like children. When you look at your kids and you feel delight in your children, I think that's how God sees you. If you don't have kids, maybe you look at your cat's eyes and see the selfishness there. But still, the cat delights me, you know? We, there is delight and joy. It can't be always because our hearts get broken. And this world is a tough place. But there is time for fun as well. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit about the forms of play. And everyone can play. And every one of you has different play personalities and different kinds of play. So it's not impossible that you can still play as an adult. It's definitely something I encourage people to do. Um, there is the creativity. Um, if you have fun creating something, that is one of the essential things. Whether you're knitting a sweater or telling a story or making up stuff, that is a wonderful form of play. And I'm an artist. I love that stuff. It comes very naturally to me, but that's me. Um, experimenting is just tinkering with objects. Kids and adults love Lego, and there's a very good reason for it, because it, is a stimulus, stim it stimulates parts of your brain. And if you manipulate objects, that's a form of play. And some people are really good at it, and they end up being engineers. So. That's, that's one form of play. Um, other kids light up when they see other people. When you are a kid like that, you're probably an in, in, extrovert. I think that baby, our little baby Lucy, who's not here today, is a bit of an extrovert. She was the star of the party a few weeks ago. And she smiled and enjoyed and was completely overstimulated. But there are kids that just love to play with other kids. And that's social play. So we have that too. We enjoy being with other people. And there is also playing with your body. This is one form of play I'm terrible at. I'm a terrible dancer. I'm bad at sports. But some of you are naturals. Some of you know how to move your bodies. You enjoy your bodies. You do athletic things. And you play sports. And you join into teams. And that's another wonderful way to enjoy yourself and play. Not everyone has this gift, as I appreciate. Many of my students have this gift. Music and dancing. These are other forms of play that are available to us. Now, just to end, since my time is up, my little timer went off, I want to just tell a very short story about baby boomers, and how privileged we were to manipulate objects. There is a famous uh, organization called Jet Propulsion Laboratories, and they make things to explore space with. And they had recently, all their uh, older members, their older engineers had retired, and they realized they had a problem. The problem was 
that even though they were hiring people from famous engineering schools like MIT, Stanford, and Caltech, the new hires were often missing something. They were not very good at certain types of problem solving. And what the experienced managers found was that the baby boomers that were rapidly retiring were the kind of kids who took watches apart, who took engines apart physically, not on computer screens. And they had the kind of skill that predicts whether a machine is going to work or not. And it's sort of an insight that you don't get if you're strictly trained in books or the computer screen. So that's kind of cool. Yay for baby boomers. But that means playing with blocks, playing with Legos, manipulating objects, it's all good. And that's the end of my sermon. So just to conclude, when Jesus says we are to be like children, he means we trust our vulnerable selves like children do with caregivers. We trust God in the same way. We enjoy continual companionship with God, and this gives and reassurance. And in this reassurance, we are free to delight and play. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this service. I thank you that even now you are speaking to us. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for your wisdom. I pray for the hearts here. I pray that you will comfort those who need the comforting and rejoice with those who need a good laugh. Thank you for this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.